We're in this series uh, called The Kingdom is Like. The Kingdom is Like. And we've been walking through the book of Luke and Acts. And I'm excited because today we're going to look at a familiar passage. But hopefully we can look through this passage with a little bit more Eastern eyes. A little bit more Middle Eastern, ancient Near East eyes. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verse 3. If you don't have one, there should be some Bibles in the pews. Someone generously donated those to us. But I want you to see this text. I'll have a few of the verses up, but for the majority of it, I just read because I want you to get comfortable in your Bible um, because there's something so beautiful about the text. But it says this, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And then verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Many of us grew up learning this passage. I love this room, and every time I get a preach, I often look at this massive stained glass window. And for some of you can see, but it's a picture of Jesus as a shepherd. And inside his hand is this little baby sheep. And it's this picture of, of Jesus in many ways who goes after the one that's missing. Many of us have heard this. It's, it's a theme of the song, Reckless Love. I know Asa loves. And, and, and it's this theme that, hey, there are people outside the church who are drifting, who are drowning, who are struggling, uh, who don't necessarily understand that a God came in flesh and bone to walk this earth to give us access to the Father, that he was willing to die, and he resurrected. Many of us don't know that, didn't know that story for many, many years, and we just went in our own way. And it led us astray until one day we discovered what good news was all about. And I think there's something really, really beautiful about this. I hope that every single one of you in this room who is a true disciple of Jesus, I hope that every single one of you gets the opportunity to talk, to share, to present good news to someone. I hope you know this. There's no greater gift that you can give someone than an introduction to the God who loves them. There's no other gift. It's the greatest, greatest, greatest gift that you can give someone. I can give someone Cubs tickets, but after two hours and 40 minutes and a potential W, that's all you got. Maybe a foul ball if you get lucky, but that's all you got. But eternity. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He, he says this. The church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ. To make them little Christ. That's what Christian means. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. For God became man for no other purpose 
And I think this is really, really important. And I think oftentimes evangelism gets a bad rap. Uh, people do it weird. Uh, people do it wrong. People scream and shout with bullhorns. I get that. I get that. I get that. But the heart of the matter is if God rescued you, you have to understand is that found people find people. Found people find people. Now, here's what you also need to know. There's three parables that Jesus tells. And we often just think it's about evangelism. But what I want you to understand is, yes, it is. But it's also so much more than that. Look at the next parable. It starts in verse 10. It says, the, it says this. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, now here's the story. And, and I happened to, um, this week... I, I got the chance to, to, to go and see the chosen set. And, and I walked in this house that was like a scene of this house. And, and, and it was much smaller than I had perceived or thought. And I kept thinking about this. Just imagine a woman losing a coin. And, and maybe the, the house was half the size of the stage. And she can't find it. And she's like sweeping and she's looking. And all of a sudden she finds the coin. And she calls all of her friends and goes, I found it. Rejoice. And what you have to understand is in rabbinic literature, most rabbis, William Barclay, a scholar, says that most rabbis would not rejoice when something was, a sinner was found. They would say, rejoice when a sinner is obliterated. There wasn't this great desire to actually reach those who were in a far-off land. It wasn't actually something to celebrate when someone returned and repented. Because many, many in that day couldn't stand the Gentiles, couldn't stand the Samaritans, couldn't stand anything that was not one of them. But here's the truth. Again, every time I've heard this taught, I've always heard it taught that it's about evangelism, and it is. And, and here's what I want you to see. Look at the first two passages of chapter 15. Now the tax collectors, those are the most hated people, and sinners, those are people who didn't want to actually participate in the temple or in purity laws or in worshiping Yahweh. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So you have this scene that's set up where you have tax collectors and sinners who are coming to hear the teachings of Jesus, and on the other side, you have the religious people and the teachers of the law just muttering, what kind of rabbi does this? What kind of rabbi does this? Now, think about this. Think about these first two parables. One parable is about a lost sheep out in open country. Another parable is about a lost coin inside a house. Think about this. One is lost outside, 
and one is lost inside. And what Jesus is trying to say is that many of the religious people are actually lost. And in the American church today, I think that there's a lot of lost people inside the four walls of church. And this is what Jesus is going after. So it's about evangelism. Yes, let's go reach as many people and share with them what grace and truth and peace and the way of Jesus is all about. But it's also about every single one of us having to be honest and human with our own lostness, is it not? Because if we're not careful, what will often happen is you will subtly and silently become a Pharisee. And you will disassociate and separate and you will have your ideals and your theories and your rights and your agendas. And it will be known as your ideology, but you will call it your theology. And it will give you reason to behave in a certain way. And this is what Jesus came to call out in me, in us, and the religious leaders of the day. And he does it by telling three parables. So the first two, you get it. You're just like, oh, one outside, one inside. But before I dive into the third parable, this week um, we lost a spiritual giant. Um, we lost Tim Keller. Um, any of you ever read any of Tim Keller or been blessed by any of his work? Yeah. Um, Tim Keller, um, I, I love learning from different preachers, from various different walks of life, Latin America, from different urban centers. I, I love listening and, and, and studying and understanding how they preach, how they teach, how they really work on the craft. And what Tim Keller was fantastic at, better than anyone I've ever, ever, ever seen, how he shaped me as a communicator, is he could... Go to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and look at someone like Sarah and show you how Sarah points to Jesus in the cross. Better than anybody. Every, every page, every word for him was, how does this show me who, more about who Jesus is? How does this show me more about what the cross means? How does it show me? And he was masterful at it. He was masterful at it. And what I want to share with you, this third parable, is something that he taught me. It's in his book called The Prodigal God. And many of us grew up learning about this famous parable known as the parable of the lost son. But what Tim Keller teaches us in the prodigal God and what he taught me is that it's actually the parable of two lost sons. Watch this. It says this in verse 10 or 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, basically, this young son walks up to his dad and says, Dad, give me my money. You're dead to me. And that's literally how it would be perceived. As the younger son, you only got one-third of the inheritance. The older son would get two-thirds. So this father has to go to great deal. He has to sell stuff off. He has to get the cash on hand, and he has to give it to his son. So he does. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and it began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. What was amazing in the ancient Near East culture, you, um, you would never fire someone. You would just demote them to a role that they would never take. And some of us have had that experience in our job. And someone is like, no, I'm just going to have you do this. You're like, what? I'm not doing that. And then you're out. But what's amazing is you have this Jewish boy, this Jewish son, who squandered everything, and he's desperate, he's hungry, he needs so much. And Jewish boys, they didn't eat pigs. They didn't touch pigs. They didn't get around pigs. It was considered unclean. And when he talks to this Gentile owner, the Gentile owner does not want to, like, fire him. So he goes, oh, you can go work with the pigs. Thinking that this Jewish son would not do it. But that shows you how desperate he is. It continues on. It says this, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And so he's like, he's so desperate. He begins to say to himself, my, my father's servants have it better than me. So he prepares a speech. Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven and against our household. And, and what you see is him saying, if I can get the right words, then maybe my father will accept me. He sees it as a performance. And for many of us, we do too. And all of a sudden, you have this moment where, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, he goes to his speech, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your, servant, your son. And before he can say, make me like one of your hired servants, the father interrupts him. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. It's such a beautiful story. You know what you never see? You never see grown men running. When's the last time you saw an older gentleman just in a full-on sprint? You don't ever really see it. And in Jewish culture, you didn't see it because it was a symbol of shame. Like you were running from something. Because you'd have to pull up the robe and show a little calf, and you'd be taken off running. But the reason he's doing this is because he sees his son. And in that day, because that son had brought shame upon the house, the people in the town, the people of the tribe, they could actually come and stone him. You see this in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And so the father runs after him. And he's like, no, 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 no. You're back. I don't care about your speech. You're back. You don't have to have it all together. I love listening to conversion stories. Because it's, it's often really, really messy. When you hear addicts who are just trying to be honest and get clean. When you hear people who are at the end of their rope. And people who just have nowhere else to go. And they're just like, I'm done. Carrie Underwood theology. Jesus, take the wheel. You know, just, just take it. I'm done. I'm done. My kingdom is done. Your will be done. 
here as it is in heaven. And it's amazing is that this, this child just gets brought in. But I love how it continues on. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? And look how the father responds. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that's how the story ends. And we never know if the older brother actually enters in. If the older brother can actually celebrate what Jesus is up to. And we know that the religious leaders couldn't. They actually were envious, jealous, threatened. They couldn't stand Jesus and his teachings and the power that he had. And I think it's really, really fascinating. I remember when you were a kid. It's the end of the school year. And your mom or your dad tells you, hey, where's, where's that jacket? You're like, oh, I think I left it at school. And before the end of the year, they make you go to that lost and found section. That's just a big trash can or bucket of like sweatshirts. I loved going there. I'm like, oh, that's an Air Jordan sweatshirt. I should just take that. I didn't. But like I usually would come home with three or four of my sweatshirts that I had just left at school. There's a sense of like, oh, it was lost and it's found. But it's amazing is what I've come to discover what it means to actually be a Talmudim and a disciple of Jesus is that you are found. But some of us, once we get found, we think that we've arrived. And all of a sudden, this ideology that becomes our theology begins to be cemented, and we never actually really look at it. We don't actually turn it. That's why I really love like the Jewish faith because the Jewish faith is, is constantly turning and being curious and they're actually wondering what this can be in their life and in their story. But for many of us, it's hard. When I was on the Camino, I was hiking from Spain to Portugal or from Portugal to Spain. And, and all you do is you find, follow these yellow arrows and these shells and I, I'd get up super early, and I, I often walk by myself, and, and I was walking, and I'm following the yellow arrows, and I was just thinking and processing and, and trying to let some stuff go on this pilgrimage. And, and, and then all of a sudden, I, I, I didn't know where I was. I, I realized I had veered off the trail, and I was on a highway. Just imagine just walking, and you're on a trail and a nature preserve, and then all of a sudden you're like, how did I get onto the 90? And that's what happened. And I'm just walking, and cars are flying by me. And I'm like, I don't know where I am. I'm pulling out my phone. I'm like looking. I can't find where I am. I can't find. And then all of a sudden, this woman stops. And she probably recognized me because I have, a, I have this, this backpack on. And she's like, oh, that, that guy's lost. And she, she pulls over. And she's like, are you looking for the Camino? And I'm like, yes. She's like, 
you're far from it. And I'm like, thank you. She's like, you got to keep walking, and then you're going to see like this little path. Make a right right over there, and then you're going to come down the cliff, and there's the trail. You see the trail? And I'm like, oh, yeah. And she's like, okay, great. And I was like, thanks. And she drove away. And then I'm processing it with some of my friends that we went with me later that night. And I'll never forget one of my friends, John Huckins, said, Steve, if you never get lost, you can never be found. Isn't it amazing? So so many of us in our American Christianity and our Western Christian ideology, we've been taught to be right and act like we've arrived but what if, what if we actually began to recognize that there's a story of the lost who are outside the church who, who are able to come and experience you all, the grace and the peace that you all have, and the lost become found. But what if, what if the people inside the church, maybe the whole theology is, oh, you are found. You are found. You are found because Christ came. He lived. He died. He was buried. He rose. He ascended, and he's coming back. You are found. But underneath that, there is a whole slew of kingdom ideas and concepts that I think some of us just accepted. And we didn't even know. And I think some of us are missing what Jesus actually wants to do. I grew up in Southern California. And I grew up in California in a small little church. I love this little church. I have no shade against the little church. It was amazing. But what's amazing, though, is women could only teach Sunday school and sing a special. They couldn't preach. And I always thought that was really interesting. And in seventh grade, when I started coming to church and riding my bike to church, I always saw Pastor Charlie, and Pastor Charlie was awesome. And in the room, it was pretty much people who looked like me. And I just kind of thought to myself, wow, I guess men teach and women don't. No one ever said that. That's just what I thought. And then my youth pastor, as I was an intern, I was asking him, I'm like, hey, why, why, don't, why don't women ever preach? And he's like, they should. And I was like, really? And he began to walk me through the text and showed me that the gifts are for everyone. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm like, why isn't this happening? You, and he's like, I, I, I've been trying to say it. And I'm like, if you say it, you're going to get fired. And, and, and what I realized was, oh, my goodness. There was a part of me that I just, through my culture, had just thought I had arrived. But now I love learning from Bria. I sat back there last week. I loved her message. We're better off when we can have a more beautiful expression. When I went to high school, it was really, really diverse. When I played hoops, it was super diverse. When I went to church, it wasn't. I started reading the scriptures, and I started to actually read the end of the book, which is amazing. You should see it. We win. But it's awesome. And I'm like reading. I'm reading at the end, and, and it's telling me. it's telling me that Every tongue, tribe, and nation will gather in the new Jerusalem, the new city. And, like, it's all going to be grounded in Jesus and centered around Jesus. That was amazing because shouldn't this whole world and reality be practiced for the next reality? And then I'm like, well, that's not like how our church is. What would it look like if, man, we actually embodied and looked a little bit more like heaven? It's amazing because you can just get into like, oh, it's just majority culture. It's just da 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 
But then all of a sudden you start reading this book and you realize, oh, there's parts in me that are lost. And, and some people would call this second conversions or third conversions because what's happening is your, 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 your whole mindset and perspective and theology is actually being shaped not by culture or political party, but, but actually by the kingdom. And it was really, really wild. In the last few years, I know a lot of people, a lot of people who have left the church because it differed from their political party. But you know what I never have seen? Never what I've never seen? I've never seen somebody leave their political party because it di differed from the way of Jesus. And all of a sudden, what ends up happening is you have this philosophy, like if you are found and lost and you actually trust this book and trust the spirit and trust God's love, you can actually surrender and go, teach me, Lord. Teach me. Teach me where I'm lost and I think I'm found. Teach me where you got to actually shape my theology. And it's wrecked me. It's wrecked me. And I, I, for me, this has been one of the, the most beautiful gifts of the desert. Because I, I found myself entrenched in reading desert mothers and fathers who actually celebrated being lost, found and lost. But being lost because they could actually understand God's love, his grace, his mercy, his truth even more. I mean, just think about this. Think about it when it comes to terms like immigration, guns. You can go down a whole list of topics. And for some of us, we're like, not up for debate, not up for debate, not up for debate, not up for debate, not up for debate. But what if, what if, what if, what if we had such trust in this book that we were like, huh, I wonder what the Bible does say about that. I wonder what, I wonder what smart people say about and that, that, for me, has been one of the greatest revelations. Now, here's the truth. Jesus tells a parable, and the story just ends. We never know if the older brother walks in and celebrates what Jesus is up to. And I was taught from an early age, whenever you preach, wrap it up in a bow. But that's not how life works, right? So if you want application, here's the application. If you want application, and I like giving application, if you want application, here's the simple application. We are lost. Every single one of us. And if you're not lost, you're pretending. If you're not lost, there's probably part of you that's a Pharisee. And, and, and if you find yourself found and lost, like me, think about what you would teach your kids. Okay, so here's the application. And someone shout it out if you know the answer. What do you tell your kid when they get lost at the Woodfield Mall? They get lost. What do you tell your kid? Look at the map. Okay, someone else. Find help. Right, yeah. Ask for help. That's your application. If you're lost, like me. If there's a topic or an idea or there's a piece where you're like, I don't know what to do with this, you know what you do? You ask for help. You ask for help. You find yourself looking at this book and going, God, I need help with this topic. Like our whole world, our whole world 
fell apart in the last few years. It was madness. And I think deep down, part of it was because the church had been taught just here, every sermon's wrapped up in a bow, and then all of a sudden, uncertainty and all the unwords were being thrown out all around us, and many of us didn't know how to live in a lost space, following the cloud. This is why God spent 40 years trying to walk the Jewish people because they didn't know how to live in the desert. And the truth is, many of us don't. So here's the beautiful piece. I like to give messages that inspire. I like to give messages that motivate. I like to give messages with clear next steps. And here's the clearest thing that I can say. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are found. Thanks be to God. And if you are a follower of Jesus, actually rubbing shoulders with people who are wildly different from you, you will experience today or tomorrow or next year a season of lostness. And the question is, what will you do? How will you respond? And truth be told, we have to ask ourselves the honest question. And I ask myself this often, where am I lost right now? Where am I lost right now? In both of the stories, when it came to the sheep and the coin, when both were found, the one that was outside the house and one that was inside the house, there was a moment of repentance. And I tell you what, going on the spiritual journey with Jesus, going on the spiritual journey with God and the Spirit, there's going to be moments that you're going to look back, and I hope that you don't have the same faith that you had in your 20s. I hope that you've experienced the presence of God, the power of God, just the earth-shattering sense that God loves everyone. That God loves everyone. And I pray, I pray that as you wrestle through difficult topics and difficult agendas and difficult subversive powers that all around us, I pray that in the moment that you feel like I just want to check out, I pray that you would just have moments where you're like, I'm found. But in my lostness, I know I can ask you for help and I know I can ask someone in this community for help. My simple breath prayer, anytime I find myself lost and I find it at Home Depot because I don't know how to be a man and make anything or build anything, I say this often in so many areas of my life and it's simply this when I'm lost. And I said it on the Camino when I was lost. Lord, father me through this. Father me through this. Don't make me a Pharisee. Don't make me judgmental. I'm already that enough. But make me more like you. And that's the sermon for today. <laughs> um, I hope that this will spur more conversation. Where are you lost today with your friends? What's amazing is uh, we have cornbread here. Uh, if you remember Cornbread, he's a gift. He is truly a gift. Um, but would you do this? Would you stand? I'd love to give you a closing blessing. Put your hands out.
Again, if you're new, we'd love to meet you. Next weekend, Pastor Leonard is preaching. Uh, it's going to be good. Um, and and just, just a reminder, um, I'd love to see more Elgin representation on the elder board. And so um, nominate someone. Talk to them. Nominate someone. That helps us. And then you're going to continue to see different voices and, and guests on stage because of Baby Gate. Just continue to welcome them. Celebrate them. This is, this is about all of us on this journey together. But with your hands opened, may you receive these words. My brothers and sisters of Forest City Church, may you know, may you know, may you know that the God of all creation came to find you. And if you have a relationship with the Lord, may you know that you are found but you have not arrived. May you never stop learning, wrestling, to understand the heart of the Father, the power of the Spirit, and the real reason why Jesus came to this planet. May in your lostness you not pull away, run away, or escape and numb out, but may you lean in and ask for help. Much love, everyone. Grace and peace.